Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hi, everyone. Uh, well, it's been a while since we've done a Western, and actually, I think of all the Westerns we've covered, this isn't the oldest Western, no, but not it's by a long probably time. one of the first we ever saw. Uh, yes, it's it's one of the first... It's one of the first I saw that made me think that, okay, maybe I do like Westerns. Because for the most part, I, I avoided them for sort of what was in my head of the average Western, which was like very vanilla. And to be honest, I hadn't even really seen them. But I just had this like preconception in my head of Westerns, which I guess isn't probably terribly far off for a lot. But un- unfair to characterize an entire genre for, especially in retrospect, since... Um, I've grown to like an awful lot of them, but I, this might be the first one where it was just like, oh, wait a minute, I should look closely at uh, quote unquote Westerns um, because this is this is vastly different than anything I would have expected in a lot of ways from Western. Well, this I, I saw this when I was about 10 or 11. Oh, wow. It was on HBO a lot because yes. it was. A I remember the time. trailers very well. And in fact, when we were watching it again for the first time in a while, I remember like seeing, okay, yep, I remember this from the trailers. I remember this from the trailers. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it had to do with, at the time, um, Pale Rider yes. by Clint Eastwood was kind of on it, or either in theaters or on its way to theaters. So that's probably why HBO had this on. That's a good point. I forgot. Yeah, that would have been, yeah, that's about, that, that feels right, like mid-80s, right? And I remember... My friend, my best friend at the time, Jason. You remember Jason? Sure. He of the, uh, was it the maple filled donut? You yes. Him into eating? <laughs> maple filled donut incident. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he was obsessed with spitting. And I think this movie has oh. kind of did it to him because I even remember him one time saying, one of my favorite things about the outlaw Josie Wales is the black spit. <laughs> because. Did you not realize he was dipping tobacco? Probably not. Because okay. you don't really see him dipping. Well, you're talking like what? You're both ten or so, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, but right. You, you just mean, see him spitting. So like he yeah. is spitting constantly in this right. movie. I guess. Yeah. I guess if you don't know what he's doing, you assume he's either got some awful disease, or I guess just that's what spit looked like in the uh, post Civil War period. So let's start with you know casting out the at least two elephants in the room. Yeah. This movie is based on a novel by Forrest Carter. Yep. Now, we've mentioned numerous times that we're not about being political. We're about the movie. Sure. Forrest Carter is indeed a problematic person. I do not agree with him in just about anything he did yeah. or said. Yeah. But I saw this, like we said, we saw this movie before he was. And, you know, it sure. does kind of hurt my enjoyment of it a little bit but i just try to set aside you know it's separating the art from the artist yeah you know uh i mean i had i had hesitations when you said to do it and i'm just like but it has been a long while since i've seen it i remember liking it and you know it did knowing what i do now it did make it harder to enjoy but at the end of the day it's that good It, it really is very good movie and and really, again, because this is, you know, directed by Clint Eastwood, it really is more of a Clint Eastwood, although it does follow the book pretty, very closely. You know, it's this is just, again, about separating the art from the artist, which can be difficult. This is, I mean, this this is a perfect Eastwood role, uh, at least in terms of what he had been playing up until this point, especially throughout his spaghetti Western period, right? Like, it feels perfect for him. Yes, this is very much um, like earlier movie High Plains Drifter. This is very spaghetti Western influenced. So then the elef- other elephant in the room is that Josie Wales, the outlaw Josie Wales, rode with Bloody Bill Anderson and his, you know, Missouri Raiders. And they have battles with the Red Legs, you know, of uh, Kentucky. Let's just oh, Kentucky or Kansas, but they were border uh, raiders. Well, Kansas, yeah, and I think um, just to add more bills to the famous bills to the equation, I think I read that both Buffalo Bill and Wild Bill were uh, red legs as well, or maybe they were Jayhawkers, but I think they were red legs. Well, here's the thing: is they were all deplorable people who very dangerous, mean people. 
<laughs> they they basically use the Civil War as an excuse to rape and pillage. Exactly. Let's not let's you know they'll they'll, they'll constantly people who will claim oh they were rogue elements of the Union Army or they were rogue elements of the Confederate Army and you know oh they were just don't it doesn't matter they were terrible people who did terrible right. things and used a war to as an excuse to do them. That been said, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the movie, the yeah. fictional movie about fictional people based on, you know, some elements of history. Now, one of the key things about this movie is realizing it is packed down with unlikable characters. Oh, my God. Even our protagonist, the anti-hero Josie Wales, such an asshole, is yeah. an unlikable character. Yeah, yeah. You really don't get to the likable people towards the, you know, near the end. Well, uh, even, maybe the middle I, part towards the end. Like uh, Lone Wadi is amazing, and Little Moon. Like yes. they're they're all fine, but no, like everybody's just awful through most of the movie. But the movie starts with you know the reason for Josie Wales to become a hate-filled person who hates the world. Just a monster, yeah. I mean, and, and let's face it, I mean, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he's fighting against the Red Legs because his hate is focused on the Red but really, he hates everybody. Right. I mean, and we get to see, he does change, he does evolve as, but the movie opens with his wife and young son being murdered and his ranch being burned to the ground by red legs raiders specifically know. a man um by the name of captain tyrell who will be like the who will be important for the rest of the book yes this drives josie to join up with bloody bill anderson and commit raids across the you know borders throughout the civil war and right. that's the opening of the movie's civil war montage and, and yeah basically and no dialogue for the first what 15 minutes or so Yes. And Clint Eastwood has even stated that this is basically his, or at least one of his, anti-war films. Oh, this is definitely an anti-war movie. It couldn't be clearer. Uh, To me, this is like very much a, this is what war will ultimately lead to, or this is what really happens. You know, lest you think it's just about like, you know, battlefields and and fights and drums and and just that horror. Like, it, it runs way deeper than that. Yes. So after the war is over, the rest of his band surrender to the Union, which unfortunately now includes members of the very band of murderous scumbags that led raids, are now, you know, officially part of the Union Army. So he, of course... He refuses to surrender while everybody else goes and surrenders. Uh, those people are massacred by the bad guys. I mean, again, it's hard to, you know, everybody's bad people. Everybody in the scene is, except for, again, right. uh, uh, the character of Fletcher played by Vernon Wells, who is at least somewhat likable. He's a man like caught in a horrible situation where he's trying to get his comrades in arms to surrender. You know, the guys, the war is over. Right. I know you guys were filled with hate and that's why you fought and filled with hate. And, you know, you don't want to surrender, but the war is over. If we go in here and we surrender and he genuinely believed that if they surrendered, they would be granted their amnesty and they'd be able to go home. Right. Well, cause by and large, that's what happened. Yes. Unfortunately, because this particular camp they surrender to is run by the Red Legs they've been battling throughout the war. They are vengeful people themselves. Yes, they're all gunned down and executed, except for uh, a young uh, man named Jamie who is is shot and wounded. He and, and Josie Wales escape. And basically this sets off really what the movie is about. Josie Wales just trying to find a place in a world he hates because he is a man without a country. He he does not consider himself or even any type of society. You get right. You get the impression that he's just his his one motivation is to be left alone. 
Um, because while he's, I mean, because that's the thing, like, I, I think in the book, it's a bit clear, and you would know, you, I guess you've read the book, but um, I think the, I, I think the idea from the book is that he was, it was, it was overt that he was like a Confederate soldier, but in this, it looks more like he was just a guy trying to farm out on his farm who got like dragged into this by, you know, a villainous raid. Um, which then just made him, again, not necessarily beholden to anyone, but I guess the enemy of my enemy when it came to Bloody Bill Anderson. Is that is that about right? Or is well, it the same in the book where he just kind of gets dragged into it as well? No, in the book, he's an, in the book, I would say almost he's a surrogate for Jesse James. Okay. But again, this is a man who his whole world was burned down around him. Literally. But in yeah. any other... In any other movie, he'd probably become a villain. Sure. Well, and I mean, he's not not a villain. <laughs> well, he's an anti-hero. Right. But he he's just full of hate. Exactly. And I think it's also very well clear that he's got a death wish. Oh, for sure. When he's fighting to get when when he realizes that his com his former comrades are about to be executed, he rides in and starts fighting off you know, the entire squad of soldiers by himself. And when Jamie, who's wounded, tries to tell Josie we need to get out of here, Josie's like, go on, kid. It's clearly <clears throat> indicating that, no, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die firing my guns. That's how I'm done. This is The war's over. I'm over. But he sees that Jamie is wounded and realizes that, you know, maybe I can just do one last thing and help this kid get away. Well, because, again, I think at the end of the day, that's what he wants to be. Not not what he's driven to be by the uh, by the circumstances, because, I mean, to going back to what you said about hate, I mean, that's the motivation for pretty much every character in this movie uh, for one reason or another, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's just about everybody is motivated by hate at some point, one way or the other. The only people who aren't are motivated by greed. <laughs> yes. Or at least self-survival, at least self-survival. And I guess we'll 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 get to the, the the fairy part next, which is one of the best parts of the movie. Well, yeah. From now on, the movie basically, like once the setup is done, the movie becomes an episodic odyssey of Josie Wales going to Texas to find his place in the world, or at least his place away from the world. Right. Because unfortunately, well. I mean, the kid doesn't last very long, but it starts with, yeah, he makes his way to... Uh, he lasts longer than I thought. Yeah. He, he lasts somewhat longer than I thought he would. But uh, it, it's not long before Josie Whale becomes a legend for two reasons. One, because of his prowess with guns. I mean, this man can take on... Yes. Virtually, you know, overwhelming odds with his two two pistols and wipe people out because he's also effectively perfect aim yes but also because the senator of the territory has basically put out like a five thousand dollar reward on his right. head which right. you know of course everybody wants to collect right so um, go, going back real quick just um one of the what great scene um, going back to a little bit where, when uh, Bill is giving his speech to the men about like, you know, let's give up essentially. Um, Fletcher. Uh, Fletcher, rather, I'm sorry. Let's give up effectively. And uh, they all leave. And Fletcher, you know, walks up to him, tries to convince him to go with him. And, uh, you know, he figures out obviously he's not going. And he says, good luck. And Josie just gives him this look. It's such a chilling look. It's, it's a look just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. Well, uh, because Eastwood is amazing. <laughs> Again, I think he had decided that morning with the war being over, him no longer having an object of his hate to fight. Right. He had probably decided, I'm going to kill myself. Right. Right. Or go down shooting anyway. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Same, same difference. Right. And we should point out that, again, Fletcher was used by the senator to get those people to surrender. But as far as Josie Wales knows, he was a traitor who led his own people to their execution. Right. And Vernon and Vernon Wells as Fletcher has to play this really um, conflicted character because he knows if I don't I now have to hunt right. down 
I have to help you hunt down and kill Josie Wales, a friend of mine, because if I don't, he's going to kill me. Right, right, because he knows I'm on. I'm effectively on your side because I have really no choice but to be on your side. So yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And so he is a very reluctant companion to Captain Terrell, the one of the objects of Josie Wales' hate, who he now has to, you know, assist in hunting down Josie Wales. Right. Which again, he reluctantly does. So we get to a scene where they come across a, you know, a, a ferry across the river. And the ferryman is, you know, a great character who yeah. talks about how he has to know how to sing the battle hymn in the Republic and whistle Dixie, depending on who his customers are that given. Is it, is it possible to give like two Whit Whistle Awards? Because I feel like the clear winner would be Dan George, right? Uh, uh, and and rightfully so because he's amazing. But also, like this guy uh, William O'Connell is the actor for the ferryman, whose name is apparently Sam Carstairs. He's awesome. <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Like I, again, I, I love his little speech. How he's like, he yeah, he's ferrying guys across the border, so he has to he has to know both uh, Dixie and um, what is it, Battle Hymn of the Republic? I think yeah. Like with and he has to sing both with like such enthusiasm, which you later see him do. Um, you know, because he's like, I think, I don't know. I don't know if the movie is trying to get you to think anything either way about this guy, because like, I don't really have a problem with him. Like he's just, he's just a ferryman. And I under, I totally understand his point. Um, like he's just trying to, he's just trying to survive in his own way. Like he doesn't feel he's not, he's certainly not the same as the literal snake oil salesman. You know what I mean? The carpetbagger. The carpetbagger, yeah. Like, he's certainly not that guy. No. Um, I he, think I think Sim, rather, not Sam, Sim. I think Sim is, like, he's he's way more sympathetic. Like, to me, he's just, a, he's just a dude trying to, like, he's, you know, charging 10 cents to cross. Like, he's not trying to, doesn't seem like no. he's trying to rip anyone off. He's just trying to not die. His whole point is that I want, every, anybody's going to be my customer. Right, right. And I'm not taking sides. If whoever right. wants to pay me the 10 cents to get across the river... I'm going to take across the river. Right. I right. don't care Folks who they are, are or who they fought for. You know, I'm trying to stay out of that. Folks are going to cross the river. Might as well be me. And again, he's not trying to be sleazy about it. He's not trying to be slick about it. He's just trying to be very pragmatic about it. And I, 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 I kind of respect that. This guy's all right. Um, and I, and I well, want to at least shout out the actor because he, he does a great job. It, it's also clear that once he realizes that the guy he's taken across the river is the famous Josie Wales and there's a $5,000 reward on it, he would very much like to get that $5,000 reward. Which is fair, also somewhat greedy, but also he is the outlaw of the winning side. Well, so yeah, he's yeah. technically doing what he should be doing. And as, yeah, as far as he knows, this is a murderous outlaw. Right, right. So he gets Jesse, the carpetbagger, and... Jamie across the river and just as they're landing on the other side of the river you look back and you know the posse of soldiers hunting Josie I go, I'm going to keep saying Jesse but it's Josie Wales it's hard not to yeah I probably uh, do yeah you know he sees that they're getting ready to come across the river too and he starts giving you know Josie the song and dance well I'll try to hold on as you know to try to prevent them from getting across real just, quick so that you can get away the look of terror in his eyes as he starts singing Dixie when he sees Josie shows up, assuming that's the song he wants to hear. Yeah. It's just, it's chilling. Like, there's just, this is such a well-acted movie. I mean, I, I guess you don't have to take our word for it. It's a well-respected movie. It's got great reviews. Um, and, you know, but, uh, man, if you haven't seen this one, um, this could be a gateway western. It more or less was well, for me. I, I want to get this out of the way, the way too, because, like I said, this is directed by Clint Eastwood who I feel is right now the greatest living American director. Oh, it's very much. The very man well, is an amazing director, director yeah. who's got an amazing filmography behind him, not just what he's acted in, but what he's directed. Sure. I mean, he's directed nearly 40 movies, if not more. Oh, well, it's more than I thought, but yeah, uh, uh, he's a tremendous director too, right? Just You, you know, remember him as an actor, especially a Western actor, but sure. Yeah, or if you, or as Dirty Harry, but you know, and, and I forgot how long he had been directing too, uh, which goes to show how how you know I forget how long he's been around. <laughs> oh, exactly, yeah. Because he was he was what already in his thirties or forties by the time he was doing those spaghetti westerns, right? Yes, 
And I think this is the fourth or fifth movie he directed. Right. So he gets, you know, the, the, the ferryman starts going back across the river and the carpetbagger is teasing Josie that, oh, you, you know, you're going to get caught now, Mr. Josie Wales. And Jamie is like, come on, Josie, we need to ride. We need to go on. He's like, you know, and he says to the kid, we can't. You know, look at these tracks. There's a, there's a group of soldiers out ahead of us, not too far ahead of us. So if we try to outrun these people, we're just going to run into those soldiers. We need to wait here and gather time for those soldiers ahead of us to move further ahead. And, you know, while they're coming across on the boat, you know, Vernon Wells Fletcher is telling Tyrell, it's like, like um, you know what? You, you may want to wait over here or slow down. You know, because you can see right. Josie's waiting over there. And, and Tyrell's like, oh, what's he going to do? Shoot us all? At best, he's going to get two or three men up at the front. And right. The camera cuts to those men up at the front like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's a great shot. That's actually a great shot. I really I appreciate that they do that, too. That. Yeah, I, I appreciate that they do that, too. Because you're right. As soon as he says that, they cut over to three men, like, looking bad at it. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, and, and to clear, like, if you haven't seen the movie... The thing with this ferry is that it's run by rope. Like, it's a pretty straightforward but very ingenious plan of there's a rope tied across the river and the ferrymen just kind of pull their way across the river. Um, but you could also see the flaw in this design, which well, which, which Josie will exploit very soon. Because, yes, as the carpetbagger is telling Mr. Josie Wales about how this is a uh, country of law, order, and justice... Josie Wales says, well, around here we got something called a Missouri boat ride. And he shoots the rope, which breaks and unravels. And then down this, you know, it's not, it's a fast-moving river. It's not right. a rampaging, rapid river, but fast enough that it now starts taking the ferry down. It's river. a river, yeah. Much to Fletcher's delight, even. Like, you know, like I told you, you know, right. Josie, Josie Wales is a smarter man than you think he is. So... As uh, Josie and Jamie camp out, and like you said, Jamie has got a stomach wound that we everybody kind of knows is fatal because of the time as it's happening. But Josie's hoping, you know, maybe he'll pull through or they're camped out and that's when they're ambushed by two more people looking for the reward. And one of them... Uh, the character called Abe, played by Len Lesser, is my Whip Pistol Award winner. Because he gives one of the most memorable performances that would movie. He's one of the first characters I think of outside of Josie Wales. Fair enough. With his lines of like, you know, now, you draw out those pistols real slow so I can count the hairs on the back of that hand. This movie is so quotable. <laughs> it's a tremendously quotable movie. Some great lines in it. Oh, uh, for, for for me, it's the ferry boat. It's the ferry scene that is the first scene I think of when I think of this movie. So again, Josie Wales showing his well. Um, the kid causes a distraction by saying, "Pa, pa, yeah, uh, I got the gold, pa, the gold, me and Jesse, Josie." And again, I'm going to keep saying Jesse. The gold, it's me so and Josie. Josie stole from the. Uh, because when I think Josie, I think Josie and the Pussycats, and that's not right. <laughs> right, right, very, 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 very different. Yeah, which you know causes the distraction for you know uh, Josie to kill the two guys. Unfortunately, during the night, Jamie passes away, and Josie Wales finds himself alone. But he makes it into what was at the time called the Indian Nations. Um, you know, United States territory that wasn't governed by anything. Right. You know, it was basically, you know, it was territory. It was, you know. It was just, yeah. And that's where we meet the most likable character of the movie. Lone Wadey, played <laughs> by Chief Dan George. Yeah. The, um, um the, technically the obvious pick for Whip Bissell Award winner because, I mean, he just carries he, he, he carries so much of the movie. Um, well, and again, just about every line he speaks, he's, he's amazing. But that, he's also the first likable character we've Easily. encountered in the movie. 
Yes, yes, he for sure is. Yeah, unless you count the ferry, unless you count the ferryman, he's about the, the, I don't yeah. find him all that likable. He's more likable than the carpetbagger, but well, sure, he's not a um, bad guy. Well, that's what I'm saying, but that's but that's what I'm getting at. Like that's what I'm like that, that that's that's what the movie gives you for likable characters to this point. But Dan George soon, you know, um, lone. They they, they say lone, lone weighty, but it's W A I T E. Right? Yeah, like Tom Waite. So I, I'm, I don't know, but he says he calls it Lone Waity, or that's how Josie pronounced it. I think they instantly bond due to the fact that they both hate the United States government. Right, right. You know, for almost similar reasons, but you know, of course, Chief Dan George talks about what happened to him and his people, and how you know, you know, we we've been civilized, and you know. So no one likes like, us. Like even our own people don't like us at this point. Yeah. Yes. So he is again now a man. So these are basically he explains two men. his garb and the hat. Yeah. It's a it's a very like just about everything he says is 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 so important. It, it's haunting. It is. Yeah. And now these are two men who don't have, who are basically alone in the world. Right. And so they start traveling together he is he is also a lot of what makes josie as likable as josie can be he starts helping josie find his humanity right josie realizes it or not right right like thank god he is in this movie because otherwise yeah it's it's a that much tougher to watch i i think it's because he starts realizing through uh lone weighty that i can still hate the world and hate everything that happened to me but i don't have to hate everybody i meet Right, you don't have to be a monster. Because as they travel a little further along, they come uh, across this, you know, shop where um, the proprietor has a a, a Comanche woman as kind of a slave. Right. It's it's not she's mistreated by him. He beats right. Her. It's 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 unclear exactly, but it seems like she's an outcast, and this is pretty much just where she is. And he's obviously taking advantage of her. Yeah. Yes, uh, th- this is uh, Little Moonlight, played by Geraldine Keynes, who yeah, she, not a ton of lines and none in English, but she's great. And it like, was, you, you you understand everything she's doing with her performance. You know, it was bugging me where I knew her from. And of course, I kept thinking, well, you know her from this movie. You've seen it dozens of times. But then I had to look this up. This didn't come to me. I would like to claim that, oh, I know who. She is the dispatch officer in the car. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Oh, wow. All right. I have to go. I have to go see that again. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's the other thing we knew her from. I can picture. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And she's being attacked by these, you know, basically Comancheros, you know, gun runners that are making their way through there when Josie shows up looking to buy a horse for uh, Lone Wadey so they can journey on together. And he rescues her. And once again, well, before he rescues her, he's, you know, these guys draw on him because they recognize him as Josie Whale. Mr. Chain Blue Lightning himself. And once again... Which is a really... I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it certainly sounds cool. I don't know what it means, either, but it is a cool line. Yeah, it's a great line, but I don't fully get it. <laughs> but once again, Josie Wales... Is, she's almost like Batman. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> he can't be stopped. You know, every time you think... You, every time it's one of those, he's only one guy and we got guns on him. Right. And, it so doesn't matter. So he kills them, and Little Moon and Moonlight now ends up joining their little party of Josie, Lone Wadey, and Little Moonlight. And it's not exactly clear when the dog joins up, but they get a mangy red dog that, again, Poor just dog. to show that Josie is not a likable person, just right? keeps spitting at the dog. He keeps spitting on the dog's head. Yeah, I mean, he nails it. Again, I have to respect the aim, but, you know, <laughs> he's a dick. But, you know, as as the, the, the trio are getting to go that next morning to continue on to Texas, he says to Dan, uh, to Lone Wadey that, you know, well, dog models will join us. Everybody else is. Um, and one of the greatest developments, too, between because 
uh, Lone Wadey has to constantly translate what Little Moonlight is saying. Oh, a, a romantic relationship develops between old man Lone Wadey and uh, the, the young and lovely um, Little Moonlight. Right up to the point where, you know, Jesse, Josie, you know what, folks, take a drink every time. Actually, right. don't. What? Don't. You'll end up passed out before you get too far into this episode. What? what uh, one of the little side things that happens, which I like a lot too, is that it's implied um, that Lone Waity is like telling her stories <laughs> that you yes. don't really know exactly what he's saying, but clearly he's pumping himself up. Well, because at one point he says she thinks I'm a chief, and he's like, "Well, gee, I wonder where he got got that. She got that idea." Right, right. So you can only imagine what he's thinking, like what he's telling her. So, on the way. They stop off at a town for supplies, and while Josie Wales is shopping in the um, uh, general store, we meet a new group of people who are heading from Kansas to Texas. Um, we meet the another unlikable character, yes. uh, Granny, and her brood. She's, her, she's something. I don't. I don't know if she's likable or not. She seems. She's interesting anyway. Well, she's basically the Archie Bunker of the movie, where she hates Kinda. everybody. That she hates everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't like people from Missouri. I don't like people from. You well, know, again, I, I, like like I said before, the movie is just filled with hate. Yes, <laughs> it's filled with hate one way or the other. Um, and you, you know, for the most part, like you, they get explained their motivation of hate, like you know, poor little moonlight, um, uh, um, uh, lone weighty. Like everybody has a reason to be just pissed off. Well, it's, and we're going to see that this is a band of people, who, you know, band of outcasts who come together to form a family. That's what this movie is about. Right. Right. So she's heading to Texas to a ranch her son told her about. And she's heading there with her granddaughter and her husband. And um, they refer to him as uncle. So she must be another one of his sons. But, you know, they're heading there. And after they leave, you know, the shopkeeper is even saying to Josie Wales, doesn't know who he's talking to. But he's like, you know, boy, that woman, she's got to be kind of careful. You know, I. You know, I can take it, but there are a lot of people that come through this territory where, you know, you run your mouth, you're going to find yourself in trouble. Which I can, yeah, I can respect. But then, of course, he goes ahead and runs his mouth like 10 seconds later. Well, he says, but in a different you know, way. You know, he's showing a postcard and he's like, Josie Wales. And Josie stops and is like, huh? Boy, that famous outlaw, if he ever comes through here. Because at first the guy thinks, you know, Josie thinks he's identified him, but right, clearly right. he has no idea who he's talking to. Unfortunately, as Josie Wales is making his way back to the horse and just about to ride out of town, the carpetbagger recognizes him and shouts out his name. And that's when four soldiers nearby, you know, all start reaching for their guns. And Josie's just looking at it and he's giving them this death stare. And he even says to them, like, well, are you going to pull those pistols or are you going to whistle Dixie? And he outdraws all four of them, guns all four of them down, and they end up riding out of town with uh, the posse hut on their trail. Yep. And then you get that little um, the little conversation between him and uh, and uh, Lone Wadey about, like, Lone Wadey's asking him, like, how'd you know who was going to shoot and all that? That's a fun little side. Great dialogue yeah. in this. A little bit onto how, like, yeah, well, this guy, you know, he was obviously nervous and wasn't going to draw. And then this guy, you know, yeah, it, it's a good one. As they're, you know, they, they outpace the posse. And then that's when they catch up on the granny and, well, what's left of her brood. Because they've been ambushed by Clamancheros and the men have been killed. And Granny and her granddaughter, uh, Laura Lee, played by um, Clint Eastwood's then uh, paramour, Sandra Locke, are, you know, being attacked. And she's about to be raped by some of the commentaries, but the head commentary is like, no, no, you're going to keep her. You know, she's she, she'll be worth more money to us if she's fresh. 
Um, Everybody, just to continue the theme of isn't going to be caught on the podcast, but right. Just, but just to continue the theme, unless you forgot, everybody is awful. (laughs) Just about everybody is awful. Well, and and to to more the point of this is as this is happening, Josie Wales uh, looks at Granny like, well, she's not so high and mighty now as she's crawling around. Right, like that's the right ground sobbing. That's what's important to him. Right, that's what's important to him. She's like, ah, see. And it's also pretty clear that he's probably not going to step in to help. Right. Unfortunately, well, fortunately for them, but unfortunately for Lone Wadey, he slips and falls and the Comancheros capture him when they notice he's there. And ultimately, I think when Jesse rides in and again, guns down all these bad guys, he was more rescuing uh, lone weighty than he was rescuing Janie or Laura, Granny or Laura Lee. For sure, yeah. I mean, that's at least that's the same. I get the same impression. But now we've got even more of a cast built together, and they're all going to go find the ranch of uh, uh, Granny's son. Um, they eventually Tom, Tom Turner, I think. Yes, they eventually come up on. It's basically a ghost town now. It used to be a bustling, you know, mining town until the silver run out. And, you know, Josie Wales comes in and into the, the saloon where there's just a couple of people sitting around talking. Uh, t- you know, 10 Spot, Kelly, Rose, a few other people. He comes in and they're like, they're all happy just to see somebody new. Howdy, stranger. What can I get you? And he's like, oh, take a whiskey. And they're like, well, Sorry, but the whiskey ran out, you know, 10 months ago. All right, then I'll have a beer. Beer ran out five months ago. So Jesse storms out, and Kelly's like, oh, I didn't mean to offend them, but, you know, there's nothing really here. But then Jesse, Josie. Josie, yes. Josie Wales. Josie. Comes back in with the whiskey that he has stolen from the Comancheros that they were going to sell to the Comanche. And says, well, drinks are on me. And everybody celebrates. And they're like, hey, this is the you know, greatest day. You know, Not only have no people arrived, but we've got whiskey. And Granny starts asking, like, well, does anybody know how to get to Tom Turner's ranch? And Rose um, says, oh, you must be Tom Turner's mother. He talked about you all the time. And that's where you also get the idea that Tom Turner painted a much rosier picture of his ranch and the town than actually existed. Oh, sure. But, you know, immediately they, you know, they're welcomed and they're led to the ranch uh, by, you know, two of the, the, I guess they used to be Tom Turner's ranch hands because they take on the job again. And they get to the ranch, but, you know, Granny even sees it through the eyes of what it could be. You know, everybody else first looks at it, it's like this kind of dilapidated ranch house. And, you know, there's all this scrub bush. But immediately she's like, oh, my God, it's perfect. I'm going to sweep the floor. You go start chopping wood. And you go start doing this. And you go repair the fence. And, you know, let me start getting, you know, Laura Lee, get in here and help me start getting supper together. And Clint Eastwood's just standing there looking at all this like, what are you, crazy? What, what, what? This is nothing, you know, there's nothing here. There's, and she starts, what are you doing, Josie Wells? You go chop that wood. If you don't work around here, you don't eat. And, and I mean, <laughs> you always get the impression that his pause is like, should I just kill her? Should I just leave? <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, it's that has basically been his plan anyways, is that once he got everybody here, he was going to go off on his own anyways. Well, right, yeah. Like, he doesn't even know what to do with them, much himself, rather, much less what to do with them. And she's just like, well, you're part of the family, you know, get get to work. <laughs> which, which is funny, because she calls him a loafer, and it's just like, have you, he just saved your life. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's soon revealed, too, that the ranch is in the territory of Ten Bears and his Comanche warriors. Uh, Ten Bears played by the late, great Will, Will Sampson. And the two of the men are captured and the threat comes that they're going to be 
that 10 bears and his warriors are going to attack the ranch. And you get this great battle scene described by Josie Wales about what's going to happen. You know, he talks it's about really like, fun. Yeah. Like the plan. I love a good planning scene. And this is a good one. Like, you know, your son knew what he was doing when he built this place. All these crosses you see in these shutters and the doors, they're for rifles. So you can, you know, stick the rifle out and, and shoot around. And, you know, right. Granny, you're going to sit here and you're going to keep the loading rifles. Uh, you know, Little Moonlight and Lone Wadi, you're going to cover these doors. But you're also going to want to watch down this hallway because they can come through this roof back into one of the back bedrooms and come up the hallway. So you're going to need to see, you're going to need to watch that. We're going to keep the fire going with the irons in it. So if you get hit, you grab an iron and you cauterize the wound, it's going to be the quickest way to stop the bleeding. And if that seems kind of out of nowhere, like there's a, there's a, um, there's a scene like earlier on when, when, when he's talking to granny and she mentions about how like he had died uh, during the war. So he he was a soldier, maybe even a commander. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it would, it would it would stand to reason then that he knew how to set this place up. Yeah, yeah, and it's well built. You know, yeah. he says, you know, the there's the the walls are thick; they won't easy be easy to shoot through. But while they prepare for that, Josie also decides that he's going to try to go out and make peace with uh, ten bears. And so he rides out, and you see, like, the two men, the two ranch hands that they've captured have been buried up to their necks in dirt. So I thought uh, their heads were cut off at first. Uh, I think they show one of them moving, but I guess you could just... Yeah, no, that was my assumption, anyway, when you first see him. It's like, oh, that's gruesome. So he rides out, and he starts to have a parlay with ten bears. And he basically says, look, your war is with the United States government. Well, guess what? I'm right there with you. We can be neighbors. You know, we won't take any more than we need. We won't, you know, hunt any more than we need. Every year, you know, we will have our cattle branded with the sign of your people, and you'll be able to partake in that cattle. You, you know, let's be neighbors. Let's live together. We don't have to be friends, but we can be neighbors. And Ten Bears, you know, answers like, well, everything you're offering me, I already have. Right. So why should you accept my offer? And he's and and uh, Josie Wales straight up says, like, you're right. I'm not in offering you anything you are not, not already have except for life. We can fight and, you know, we'll both basically be killed in this fight. And for what? You know, a fight that didn't need to happen. Let's live together. And they do. Yeah, yeah, it works. The two guys are released, and at first you kind of... It blows my mind. In fact, I forgot, like, it had been a while, probably a good 20 years since I had seen this movie, maybe more, and I forgot, like, oh, yeah, oh, that negotiation just worked. And again, it just reinstates that Josie Wales does not consider himself a United States citizen. Right. So the movie, the, the real climax of the movie is you're expecting to be the, the Comanche attack. Well, the real right. climax comes when Captain Terrell finally discovers where Josie Wales is. And just as Josie Wales is deciding that he is going to leave, you know, he even tells um, Lone Lady that, you know, I'm glad there's still going to be a man around here. Um, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm riding off and, you know, but I'll be back, which lone lady doesn't really buy, you know, it's like, Oh, uh, you know, have Laura Lee have a nice dress for when I come back next spring or, or the spring after. And just as he's riding out, he's surrounded by captain Terrell and his men. This leads to the battle that we expected them to have with the Comanche, but right. they have it with these guys because every single one of them has sided with Josie. Josie is now one of them. They don't care about his past. They've all got a past, and these men are not about to take Josie I, away. I mean, by this point, he's saved each of their lives. <laughs> so, yes. You know, it's kind of hard to turn your back on whatever anyone else thinks of him at this point, uh, well, especially, you know, since honor means so much. 
And he has started to find his humanity again. Right, right. Like, aside from spitting on the dog when he gets a chance, <laughs> you know, he's been a decent guy to them, to say the least. Certainly the far better than most anyone has been to them. No, his, his, his hatefulness and hostility has definitely diminished. He's actually, you know, he could easily stay. They all want him to stay. Right. But he's still got in his mindset that he doesn't belong anyways. Right, right. So anyways, after, you know, the spectacular climactic battle, and, you know, the very satisfying final confrontation between him and Captain Tyrell. So let's analyze that for a second. Um, because what's interesting about that scene, so he goes through the motions of shooting at Tyrell with empty guns, right? And when he goes through his last empty gun, he almost, he smiles at him. What do you suppose he's thinking at that moment? Like, is it... I almost get the impression, maybe I'm way off base, and it almost seems out of character for for Josie, except for the you know the the humanization humanization that's been happening to him. It almost seems like, from that look, he's saying, "I've just like riddled you with bullets in my mind," and that almost like he's about to let it go, or it's the look of, "Okay, I get to kill you in hand to hand combat instead." What, what do you take from that? Like, that's did you, or my did you... take is I'm going to kill you with my bare hands. Okay, yeah, all right, because that's you're what I wasn't gonna, sure. You're not going to get a quick death by bullet. Right, right, because like, because when he does it and he gives him that look, it's almost as if like, "All right, that's good enough." But I'm like, that just doesn't track. It's 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 an interesting scene because he does he gives him that quick little smile and and yeah, it's even I can't really place it, but I. I mean, knowing what I what I think I know about Jesse, I, I'm with you. Is that like okay? Well, I get to kill you with my bare hands instead. Yes. Which you know he basically does. Yep. As he rides back through town, because he still is intent on leaving, he comes back, and you know the the as Ten Spot Kelly and all the townspeople are talking to two Texas Rangers, and they're immediately you kind of nervous and they're like oh hi mr wilson wilson <laughs> and was like huh so, so there's these these two texas rangers here and they're looking for who are you looking for uh we're looking for josie wales oh yeah yeah they're looking for this outlaw josie wales but but 10 spot here has been telling them go ahead 10 spot finish your story it's like oh yeah well i was down in mexico just a few weeks back and I saw Josie Wales in a gunfight with five men, and, you know, he ended up being killed, you know, dead as a doornail. Josie Wales is dead, no longer to keep looking for him. And the two Texas Rangers are like, well, if you're willing to sign this affidavit, you know, that's it. Case closed. So he signs the affidavit, and everything's done until you hear the voice of Vernon Wells saying, I don't believe you. I don't think Josie Wales is dead. And of course you're thinking, oh, sh he's going to reveal, you know, what he knows. But then he goes on to say, yeah, I don't believe no five men killed Josie Wales. I think he's still alive down in Mexico and I'm going to go down there looking for him. And when I run into him and, and Josie's like, well, what are you going to do when you run into him? Well, I'm going to give him his the first shot. I owe him that much. But before that, I'm going to try to tell him that the war is over. It's over. And that's when Josie realizes, you know what? It is over. I have nothing against this man. It's time for Josie Wales to be dead. At least the Josie Wales I was up until this point. And maybe now that the world thinks I'm dead, I can go back and, and be with these people because there's not going to be anybody coming looking for me. Do because you... that was another reason he wanted to leave. Not because he didn't want to stay, but he knew trouble was going to follow him for the rest of his life. But now that his life is technically over and nobody is looking for him, he can settle down. Do you get the suspicion, because I do, I'll be straight. I do. I get the suspicion that the two Texas Rangers saw what Fletcher was doing and was like, you know what? I don't feel like dying today either. So sure, I'll go along with it. Well, no, they'd already ridden off. Right. 
But that's what I'm saying. Like, well, because like I'm saying when they were still in the bar and they're having him sign the affidavit and they're seeing Fletcher act the way that he acts. I I mean, to me, if I wanted to live, I would have ridden off to and be like, well, I guess Jesse's not here. See you. Definitely not Je- Jesse. I see. I did it, too. I guess Josie's not here. See you. Definitely not Josie. Bye. <laughs> you no, know, no, I think if they thought Josie Wales was still alive, they would have yeah, tried to take him. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I mean, you're probably right. Everybody else has given him a shot. Literally, because no pun intended i want to bring up you know i like to think they knew and we're just like screw it Nah, nah, they didn't have a clue they didn't care you know first of all they're texas rangers they have no reason to have this is true against him this is true and everybody thinks they can take him anyway so i suppose they wouldn't be different they're just maintaining law in their territory right but um, we I skipped this scene earlier because it's my favorite scene in the movie. Okay. Where after he first arrives in the town and he brings in the alcohol and everybody's happy and having a party, a bounty con- counter comes, yes. comes in looking for Josie Wales. And Josie's like just leaning against the bar like, yeah, well, you found him. You know, what do you, you know. Now what? What do you now? What? Well, uh, I, I gotta bring you in. I, you know, uh, why? Why are you bounty hunting? Well, man's gonna make a living. Dying ain't much of a living. And he ch- basically challenges the guy and says, "You don't have to do this. You can turn around and walk out that door, and it'll all be done." And the guy turns around and walks out the door. But just a few seconds later, he comes walking back in like. I had to come back. Yeah. And Josie's like, I know you did. And, you know, he outdraws the guy and kills him. But again, this is, again, an evolution. It's not only a great dialogue and a great scene, but it's also an evolution of the character that Josie didn't just pull out his gun and kill him right then and there. Right. You know, he gave the guy a chance to walk away. That's something that he wouldn't have done slightly earlier in the movie my favorite i think my favorite line of the movie is way early on and it's fletcher right talking to um the sender or whatever and uh he says like the sender gives him some raw deal and, and he says something like we have a saying around these parts and it's don't piss down my back and tell me it's raining yeah that's a great line this movie's filled with them which Judge Judy, you know, paraphrased for years on yes. her, yep. her show. Yeah. This is... It's tough, you know? This is an angry movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is not... This is not... The it's not a feel-good movie, even at the end. It's no, just, and, yeah, it's even, grimy. Like, you could compare it to young guns because you're siding with the outlaws and young guns against an unjust you know law that is hunting them but there's still a sense of fun to young guns there is no sense For of sure. this, this there's is no fun in this movie, movie. Yeah. this is right. this is an angry movie but that's what it is and if right. you, you're going to either enjoy it on that sense or you're not um, there's, there's plenty of action and gunfights, but it really is more of a character-driven story. Yeah, it's like, it's weird. It's almost weird to say that, you know, you enjoy this movie, given given the... But it's it's just a very good movie. I don't know what else to say. It's, it's just such a very good movie. Well, again, it's it's really about character, but they give you the action and adventure throughout it as well. Yeah. But again, it's hard because like Josie Wales is not a likable character. He's no, you you you're not really rooting for him as much as you're rooting against the people he's fighting. Right, you're 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 just waiting to see what happens next. In most cases, like where does this go? You know, like you're 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 compelled to keep watching, um, no matter what. And and Clint Eastwood plays him with full on badassery. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is, again, I would say an archetype for Kurt Russell's Snake Plissken. Sure. In fact, I mean, again, you can tell all through, you know, Escape from New York, Kurt Russell is channeling Clint Eastwood. Sure. 
he's sure. probably channeling the outlaw no, Josie Wales. I would, yeah, no, I'd say that's a fair comparison because Snake tries to keep that same, like, as soon as you think you like me, don't sort of edge uh, in both movies, in both Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. And he, he ends up being the unwilling leader of a band of motley characters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's it. I never really thought about it, but that's that's a pretty apt comparison. I mean, I agree. You're right in that it's pretty clear he's channeling uh, Clint Eastwood um, as as Snake Plissken. But you're right. I mean, there's 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 a there's a deeper comparison there, uh, especially in the way that Snake portrays himself, because the, the moment you get to like Snake or the moment he does something likable, he, he, he does something to be like, ask hey, for you. <laughs> you thought that was funny. Yeah. How about this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, this movie, like, it's the only likable character I would say is uh, Little Lone Moonlight Lone. and and uh, Lone Whitey. Like, that's it. <laughs> Little Moonlight and Laura Lee. Laura Lee's are, fine. Yeah. Are, are, you know, they're fine. There's nothing to dislike about them. And I, I, you probably would be. It'd probably easier to to um, know the character of Little Moonlight more if you got to if you understood what she was saying. Right. But yeah, you know, her and Laura Lee are also, you know, they're okay characters, but you really enjoy every, every time chief Dan George is on screen. Oh, every line is gold. Yeah. Yeah. That's he's one of the biggest reasons to watch the movie outside of Clint Eastwood's character. Easily. Easily. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, this is a, this is, um, much more in tune with the spaghetti westerns of the 60s and 70s than the Hollywood westerns prior to the 60s. And I know, I know I've talked with other western fans. I enjoy both. Honestly, I do prefer the Hollywood style western to the spaghetti western, but You're I talking do talking like the John Wayne classic like 40s, 50s sort of. Well, I'm more of a Randolph Scott fan than a well, okay, John Wayne fan, but yeah. At least am I picking the right time period? Yeah. Lots the, the, of like scarfs and or ascots or whatever they were. The the Audie Murphy, the James sure. Stewart, the, the Randolph Scott. But I do love me a, a good European Western. But those are the ones that tend to be darker, angrier, and, you know, right, led, by, led by anti-heroes as opposed to heroes. Right, they're more like crime thrillers, uh, as much as they are westerns. Yes. Um, so, I guess with that, let's we'll get into. Uh, well, you got anything else to say about the movie itself? No, I mean, you know, again, if you're not, um, if you're on the fence because you're not sure about westerns, I mean, le- again, let this be one of the, the one of the gateways. Because I mean, as far as as far as western pacing goes, this is about as rapidly paced as any get. Uh, it's not a, it's not an incredibly long movie. It's not incredibly short either, but I never felt like it went past its runtime for a moment. Um, wonderfully um, quotable, incredibly well shot, extremely well directed. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's just a a damn good movie and, and, and and see it for that reason to those like our frequent, uh, guest host, Mike, who does not like Westerns tried to watch them. He's given them a shot. That's all, Um, you know? If you I mean, don't like the Hollywood westerns, you might want to give this a try because it is different, and you may sigh like, "Well, because uh, I know people who don't like the Hollywood westerns but do enjoy the spaghetti westerns." I mean, I'm 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 one of them. Like, if I was to pick which westerns I enjoy more than not, it's probably going to angle towards the spaghetti westerns. But Matt, you know me, I'm not a huge Western fan by any stretch. The few that I watched were based on, on your recommendations and, and how you felt, you know, I, I would go with them and you've been right on most every occasion. Um, but yeah, like this is one of them. This is one of the ones that really opened my eyes um, to Westerns in general, to, to really give them a shot to see what they could be. All right. So, uh, what do you have in line for recommendations? You know, the recommendation that um, uh, comes to mind the most for me is uh, from, I think it's 2004, uh, Cold Mountain with um, Jude Law yep. and I think Renee Zellweger. Um, 
there are some there there are a lot of parallels uh it's also a movie that i didn't think i would like didn't you know based on the commercials and the trailers for it really didn't know you know much of it and never considered watching it until one day i found myself watching it and damn if it's not a very good movie um it's it's you know it's similar it's it's someone you know trying to in this case it's someone trying to trek their way back to their home um you know and 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 finding their conflict along the way but also you know the conflict at the at the homestead while they're away at war um it's a very good movie is all i can tell you um i i you know i i assumed it was going to be something different and i guess something a far you know an, an awful lot more boring but uh, it actually ended up being a very exciting and actually quite violent movie yeah and, and it starts with the um the true Civil War battle where yes, the, the Battle of the Crater that was yes. yeah yeah extremely well e extremely well shot yeah no check that check that one out it's uh, um if you weren't sure um what it was it's 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 actually a heck of a lot more um I I exciting and uh, fascinating it's you know it's it's something I I might not might not have ever seen if I hadn't just you know I don't even remember how or why I ended up watching it but I did and I'm and I'm glad for it all right um. Anything else? Uh, you know, I mean, give any of the modern retellings a shot, like the remake of The Magnificent Seven. Like, if you feel, you know, 1960 is too far away, I get it. You know, so watch the modern Magnificent Seven. It's a pretty fun movie. Um, Open Range is a solid movie with um, uh, Kevin Costner and, um, oh, I've forgotten his name, Robert Duvall, um, if I remember right. Uh, yeah, like even you know, give give any of those a shot, or if you haven't yet, you know, Young Guns, uh, Tombstone, any of them. All right. Well, I'm gonna go. I mean, the the most obvious, I would say, could be considered a uh, sister to this movie is again Clint Eastwood in Pale Rider, mm -hmm. and Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. Unforgiven could almost be. A sequel to the Outlaw Josie Wales. Okay, um, you know he's playing a character named Will Money, but it could very well have easily been a sequel to you know an older Josie Wales. And I should point out there is a sequel to Josie Wales, um, directed and starring uh, Michael Parks. I have not seen it. From what I understand, I'm probably better off not yeah. seeing uh -huh. it. But it was a TV movie called The Return of Josie Wales. Okay. Um, yeah. Outside oh. of that, one of my favorite spaghetti westerns, which is something I only actually just recently saw, but it really, really blew me away. I thought it was excellent. Find a Place to Die starring Jeffrey Hunter. It is probably the best gateway spaghetti western to check out besides oh, really? Clint Eastwood's Man With No Name trilogy, which is probably the most famous spaghetti yeah. westerns. Even but, I'm a even I'm a stand for good, the bad and the ugly, yeah. Those those can be tough to get into because they are very they're very much style over substance. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the case of the good and the bad and the ugly, it's a very long movie. Yeah. Like, you, you gotta set aside like a weekend to watch that, but it's probably worth it if you're inclined. It's a good movie. Find a place to die is very fast paced. It starts with a gunfight, it ends with a gunfight, and there's plenty of bullets flying in between. Right on. I'll have to check that out with you. We'll have to watch that then. Cause now I'm interested, yeah. And then I'm the interested other... in discovering a new western. The other thing I would say that is, you know, outside of the movie media, find some Jonah Hex comics. Oh, right on. Uh, in fact, there was a time where I actually thought Jonah Hex was created based on the Josie Whale movies, but no, I was wrong because his publication predates it. Oh, really? Okay. So, but former Confederate soldier turned bounty hunter, very angry, very anti-hero character. I'm sure you can find trade paperbacks on, you know, online, on Amazon, or, you know, wherever you go, but any of the Jonah Hex books, whether it was the more recent one done by um, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, well, recent by... 
like over, talking 90s? <laughs> over 10 years ago, 2000s. Okay, okay. But then the, his original series from the 80s was also really good. And almost all of them are one and done issues. So if you just, if you happen to be in a comic shop and you go through the back issue bins and you find a single issue, chances are it's something you can just pick up and read. Now, is it fair to say, you know, draw your own conclusions about the, I think it's the, jo- I think it's Josh Brolin movie, but it doesn't really represent the comics no. well enough to, to suit your point. No, if you like didn't it, like watch the, the movie, movie if you want to, but it's got nothing to do with the comics, really. Yeah, they they, they changed a lot of the yeah. character. Yeah. yeah, just so just to clarify that, like if you're thinking, oh, Jonah Hex, there was a movie, I'll watch that. It's like it's you know whether you whatever you feel about the movie is whatever, but it's it's not really, you know, the character. No, no, and I thought the movie was okay. I it was it was entertaining. entertaining. Yeah, yeah, but, I, yeah. But you know, it's 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 not something I would recommend to anybody. Unless certainly not a fan of in it. right like certainly not a fan like if you want to get into jonah hex it's not the that movie is not the best way to start all right well do you have a um magnificent seven degrees i do it's not it's not great um i cheated but you know whatever so um Clint Eastwood was in, as you mentioned, Unforgiven with uh, Gene Hackman, which brings me to another modern uh, fantastic Western. Um, and, you know, it's directed by Sam Raimi uh, with, with great performances in it by Gene Hackman and um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and, um, oh, Sharon Stone? Sharon Stone, right? Sharon Stone. Yeah. Russell Crowe. I mean, check out Quick and the Dead if you haven't seen Quick and the Dead. That's a fantastic movie. I don't care if you're not a Western fan. Just watch that movie because it's great, period. Um, and a great Sam Raimi film, uh, film um, with again some fantastic performances and by uh, amazing actors. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, uh, Gene Hackman, who was in uh, Bridge Too Far with James Caan, who was in El Dorado with Robert Mitchum, who was in the Winds of War and War and Remembrance miniseries directed by Dan Curtis. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, Dan Curtis, among other things, of course, Dark Shadows, the amazing Dark Shadows, directed um, <laughs> Dead of Night with Horse Buckles of the Magnificent Seven. All right. Well, I'm just gonna go with the more easy and obvious. I figured you would. Clint Eastwood I figured you'd was, have an easy one. Clint Eastwood was in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly with Eli Wallach, who oh, played right, the was. villain God. in the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> I completely forgot that. I like that movie too. That's well, and, that's my favorite of those three. Although I do have to see uh, Fistful of Dollars and a few dollars, which again, I know they're not related. I know, but I do have to see uh, Fistful of Dollars and your favorite of the three, a few dollars more. Um, because yes. it's been much longer since I've seen either of those. I remember liking the good and the bad and the ugly more, but it also might have been recency biases. For a few dollars more is my favorite of the trilogy. Yeah, I gotta watch them. I gotta watch the first two again because I, I I think recency bias is is coloring my good and the bad and the ugly as my favorite of the three. But um, part of the reason for that movie is like I really didn't expect to like it. Um, I, it's another movie where I, I, I like Cold Mountain where I don't even remember why I started watching it but I just started watching it on my own I think it was on TCM or something and I just you know next thing I know I'm watching the whole thing I'll, I mean it was on TV with commercials so probably three and a half hours or something of it but um, just the fact that it kept me so entertained you know all the way through with a great end and just the, the three leads are so good um, that's the one I go to but you know I, I, I do have to see the other two again all right. Well, uh, I guess that'll wrap it up for this episode. Uh, as always, we thank you for listening. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Blue Sky under Movie Matt Sorois, all one word, M-O-V-I-E-M-A-T-T-S-I-R-O-I-S. And we thank you for listening and hope to have you back next time. Thank you, everyone. Stay gold, people.